The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Come Across the Airwaves, a podcast dedicated to the weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions about the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who was terrified by a masked man in the woods when he was 11 years old. My co-host... Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we'll continue our coverage of the spring TV season as we review the season finale of Castle, an episode of Supernatural, and Bill and my review of Orphan Black, along with our sitcom section including Community and Modern Family. But as always, we will also bring you all the TV and entertainment news of the week in the News with Nico section. Yeah, let's dive right into that News with Nico section with a renewal of one of our favorite shows, The Return of an Actor, got another, and a whole bunch of stuff about new shows coming and shows that are going off the air. So take it away with our News with Nico section for the week. Person of Interest renewed with reduced episode order. Person of Interest, which was recently renewed for a fifth season, has received a partial 13-episode order for its next go-around. The Mentalist, which wrapped earlier this year, went into its final season with a likewise 13 episodes, though a rep for Person of Interest has not yet commented on whether season 5 will be the show's last. The May 5th season finale drew 8.2 million total viewers and a 1.1 demo rating. Both were series lows. Person of Interest was one of 15 CBS series renewed on Monday, along with fellow bubble dramas Hawaii Five-O and Elementary. Castle Stanakotic on board for season 8. Castle is retaining its queen. Stanakotic has inked a new deal to continue playing Kate Beckett through the just ordered season 8. The actress's on screen hubby Nathan Fillon inked his own deal last month that carries him through next season. News of Kotick's new pack comes as the aging ABC procedural is undergoing a major shift behind the scenes. As TV Line reported, Castle scribes Terrence Paul Winter and Alexi Hawley are taking over as co showrunners, replacing David Amon, who is not returning for season 8. Apparently, Stana made the decision after speaking with the next showrunners, but it does seem like this will be a true season 8 and not a completely new series, as she will be a part of it. Fox reveals X-Files premiere date. Fox has announced its primetime slot for the 2015-2016 television season and revealed that X-Files is set to return with a two-night premiere event kicking off on Sunday, January 24th, with the next episode following on Monday, the 25th. Earlier this year, Fox confirmed the cult hit would return as a new event series comprised of six episodes, with David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson back as FBI agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. This is awesome, and that's a great birthday present for me. First look at James McAvoy as bald Professor X. This is the moment we've been waiting for since X-Men First Class came out in 2011. Now it will finally arrive with next year's X-Men Apocalypse. James McAvoy as a fully chrome-domed and bald-headed Professor Charles Francis Xavier, finally making his full transition into the version of the character that we all know and love from the comics. As with most things related to the production of X-Men Apocalypse, the reveal of McAvoy getting his head all nice and follicle-free came via director Brian Singer's Instagram account. Follow the link in the ACC feed or check out the image in the chapter artwork now. Marvel Agent Carter Season 2 Changes Location ABC has revealed the official description for Agent Carter. Season 2, revealing the show has a new location and raising questions about what characters will join Peggy this time out. Marvel's Agent Carter returns for a second season of Adventure and Intrigue, starring Haley Atwell in the title role of the unstoppable secret agent for the SSR. Dedicated to the fight against new atomic threats in the wake of World War II, Peggy must now journey from New York City to Los Angeles for her most dangerous assignment yet. But even as she discovers new friends, a new home, and perhaps even a new love, she's about to find that the bright lights of the post-war Hollywood 
mask a more sinister threat to everyone she is sworn to protect. While the move to LA is notable, what also stands out is that Haley Atwell is the only cast member listed so far. With the show changing coasts, it would be tricky to have all the supporting characters from season one return, but it also would be surprising to have none of them return. Certainly Peggy's partnership with Edwin Jarvis, played by James Darcy, was a big part of season one, and when last we saw Peggy, she was roommates with Angie, played by Lindsay Fonseca. So will they, or Peggy's fellow SSR agents, be back? For now, it's a wait-and-see sort of game. X-Men spinoff The New Mutants is officially on the way. With X-Men Apocalypse said to be Brian Singer's last film starring the mutant superhero squad and Hugh Jackman preparing to bid the part of Wolverine adieu after the Wolverine 3 movie, many are wondering what the future holds for Fox's X-Men franchise. Earlier this week, the studio gave us our answer in the form of a newly greenlit New Mutants movie, a standalone spinoff film that will expand the X-Men universe by adapting the long-running comic book series. According to Deadline, Fox has tapped the Fault in Our Stars director Josh Boone to co-write and direct the film, which will be co-written by Nate Gwaltney and produced by Simon Kinberg and Lauren Schuler Donner. For those who don't know, New Mutants is a Marvel comic series created back in 1982 by Chris Claremont and Bob McLeod, the first of several spin-offs hoping to cash in on the popularity of Uncanny X-Men. First appearing in Marvel graphic novel number four, the fan-favorite team of young mutants who were former students of Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters who formed their own super team in addition to the X-Men. Much like the original X-Men comic when it first debuted in 1963, New Mutants immediately resonated with a generation of readers thanks to its honest depiction of teenage angst and relatable, diverse cast of characters. Over the course of its initial 100-issue run, New Mutants introduced readers to cult favorite characters like Cable, Deadpool, Magic, and many more. With its emphasis on a younger cast of characters, a New Mutants movie is a clever way to revitalize the X-Men franchise, bolstering its base so the next generation of actors can grow into these roles. Plus, rumors of a live-action X-Men TV show have fans wondering if we'll see Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters make its way to the small screen as well. Undateable renewed for Season 3 of live shows. Undateable has been renewed by by NBC for season three, which is pretty notable for a couple of reasons. First off, this is the first NBC comedy to make it to a third season since Community, which obviously reflects on just how much trouble the network has had in this regard in recent years. And more importantly, when the show returns, it will do so with a season comprised of entirely live episodes. The show will become only the second sitcom since the 1950s, when several were produced that way, to do weekly live episodes, the only other being Rock in the 1990s. I thought that was interesting enough to mention here, despite not being a huge fan of the series. CSI canceled but getting TV movie finale event next fall. CBS earlier this week confirmed that the original CSI was over after 15 seasons but that there will be a conclusion for the series. Confirming rumors the network announced a two-hour TV movie event which will air September 27th and that original CSI stars William Peterson and Mark Heldberg will be returning for it. CBS promised an epic finale with network executive Kelly Call noting the series was very important to the network. It was one of the shows that helped us reverse our directions. I'm very happy we can send it off in the right way. The other big CSI news was that Ted Danson will still continue with the franchise, joining Patricia Arquette on CSI Cyber in that show's second season, unfortunately due to Peter McNichols leaving the show for creative reasons. Harry Shear exits The Simpsons, Burns and Flanners to be recast. Shear, the voice behind such characters as Mr. Burns, Ned Flanders, Waylon Smithers, and Principal Skinner, is leaving the show amid a contract dispute. Harry Shear was offered the same deal the rest of the cast accepted and passed, executive producer Al Jean said in a statement to the New York Times. The show will go on, and we wish him well. Maggie took it hard. We do not plan to kill off characters like Burns and Flanders, but will recast with the finest voiceover talent available. Late Wednesday, Cher took to Twitter to confirm that his contract was not being renewed. This is a huge loss and really unfortunate that something could not be done to keep him on the show. 
New True Detective trailer takes a closer look at season two. We're still a month and some change away from the hotly anticipated second season of True Detective, but here's a brand new trailer to keep your hype levels at full throttle. McAdams is really quite a good actress, but Hollywood has been sticking her in rom-coms left and right, and from the looks of things in the trailer though, that seems she's about to unleash some serious aggression in this series. I actually like that, and it's going to be a great change up for her. We also get a very brief glimpse of the rest of the cast in the clip as well. Vince Vaughn goes a little pyro in a warehouse or maybe an office, while Colin Farrell moseys and mean mugs it to everyone around him. Taylor Kitsch plays an army vet who stumbles across the crime scene and sets season two in motion, and he certainly doesn't strike me as well-adjusted throughout the trailer either. And because this season is a completely new set of characters, that means if you haven't caught the True Detective first season yet, you won't be lost jumping straight into season two. True Detective returns to HBO Sunday, June 21st. David Lynch returns to Twin Peaks Revival. Ever since it was announced on Easter Sunday that David Lynch would no longer be directing the Twin Peaks Revival for Showtime, hardcore fans have been in an absolute tizzy. What would a Twin Peaks Revival even look like without its co-creator? Would the cast even do a show without him? Most of the actors took a stand with their beloved director saying, no Lynch, no Peaks. And fans on Twitter and other social media platforms created the hashtag SaveTwinPeaks, its message spreading around like wildfire for over a month. It was really starting to look like a world where Full House and Coach would be revived, but Twin Peaks would be left in the dust. Well, in a move rarely seen, Showtime listened, and it was announced on Friday via David Lynch's Twitter that he has returned to Twin Peaks Revival along with co-creator Mark Frost. Additional good news, David will direct the whole thing, which will total more than the original announced nine hours. Pre-production starts immediately. Whether or not Peaks makes it to air for its original 2016 premiere is up in the air, but after waiting 25 years for a continuation, what's another couple months? I say it's time to get out that coffee and cherry pie and celebrate. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, with that, we're going to move on to Talking about a fantastic episode of Castle. Maybe one of the best of the series. I mean, this really rated up there. Kai is a great episode just to capture what this series is about, and how much it means to us, and how much we enjoyed it. So let's talk now about the Castle episode, Collider's Woods. In the seventh season finale, a death occurs in the woods, and Castle becomes obsessed with the case because it reminds him of a pivotal event in his childhood. Meanwhile, Beckett reaches a turning point in her life. This is a great season finale for Castle. That not only did a brilliant job of telling his origin story as a writer, but also gave us excellent character study of Richard Castle, reminding us why we love him, root for him every week, and want him to be with a strong female character like Kate Beckett. Nico, did you feel that this episode was an excellent textbook example of a character study TV show episode focusing on his show's title character? Absolutely, Dan. I loved this episode, and I felt that it wrapped up the series so well that I would have been fine if this had been the series finale. But as I mentioned in the News with Nico section, Stana signed her contract and a real season 8 is happening. So that's good. Dan, this is a great episode with a good mystery, great insight into what makes Castle the character we love and how he got to be the writer he became. I thought it was a brilliant origin story done so well. Absolutely. I just absolutely love this episode. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic. I mean, we, we love the flashback stuff too. Okay, this was a well done use of it. Okay, just really, I mean, just fantastic. It really was. Great episode from everybody. And, I mean, I, I couldn't have been more pleased. This is one of the better season finales that we've had in a while. Yeah. Now, Castle really wasn't the only character who got his defining moments in this episode. Because we got a classic moment of Becca standing her ground in front of the police curing board with the acting that has really made us enjoy Stanakonic as an actress on the show. Because I love how this episode also left an opening for a heart-to-heart between Alexis and Castle. Because that was one of the first things that made me fall in love with this show. Aside from Nathan Phillip being on it. At the same time, some people might have felt more of a defining moment 
Ward should have been given to Ryan, Cusposito, and Martha. But I thought the writers took care of that nicely over the past couple weeks. Got this episode made up for it at the end. With Castle's award acceptance speech, having him acknowledge each of the characters, got explaining the importance they have in his life. Frankly, there's no better way to end an era for a series than that, since current news is telling us that this episode may be the last time the original cast come to the show will be together. But I think that's changed slightly based on the news that Nico gave us this week about Stalacotic's return. Nico, did you appreciate how this episode made sure it took the time to give each character a moment to shine in case this is their last appearance on the show? Do you think this episode gave everyone a good departure if they decide to leave the show? Aside from Stalacotic, which I guess you stayed on, so that's going to change our discussion I had set up for us to have. Get a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I do think it's going to. I, I, I thought I thought that, and you mentioned the important stuff already, Dan, that scene with Beckett in front of the police board, her being put forward for state senator, the heart-to-heart with Alexis, and as we mentioned last week, the great scene with Martha and Castle in that episode, and finally that speech at the end of the episode calling out his boys and thanking everyone at the precinct for welcoming him into their family. I thought all of this was a great wrap-up and could have been a, a series finale, as I mentioned before. I thought this closed out all of their stories very well if the setting and story moves location next season and we do not see Ryan and Espo, Laney, or Captain Gates. I feel like they got their send-off. I think they got their wrap-ups and I'll be okay with it because as I said, this felt like a series finale so we know everybody's going to be okay. We know things are going to go a certain way but if we change locations, if they're not a part of the show next season because they don't sign contracts or it doesn't work out that way, then I'm okay with that in a sense because we I felt like they wrapped things up very well in this episode. Even though they're going to be missed though. Oh, they'll definitely be missed. It's just that I think they got a good send-off. You know, that's right. a lot more than we can say about some shows. Like that one called Bones and somebody <laughs> named Lance Sweets. Oh, we'll talk about we'll talk about Bones in another discussion in our next section. Yeah, yeah. Well, for a one-shot villain, this week's killer was very well developed because he captured the essence of all the great mysteries we've had enjoyed from this show. With it being a public figure like Senator Brackett, who appeared to be untouchable, sending fake outs our way like the Triple Killer, and wearing a mask, which really allowed this adversary to represent the heart and soul of every castle mystery, which is the fiction versus reality debate that exists between Castle and Beckett. Nico, were you blown away by this masked bad character? Could the sense that he represented the mysteries that make this show so great? Could you think the scene Beckett and Castle had together before going to the award ceremony kind of settled their fiction versus reality debates by Beckett essentially saying we may differ on our views when it comes to a case, but what brings us together in a way that makes us perfect for each other is our desire to seek out justice for the innocent. Dan, I like the way that you phrased that. The, this week's killer essentially embodied the best parts of the major villains of this series, like Bracken, 3XK, and all the supernatural or reality versus fiction stories from throughout this series. But as for the whole reality versus fiction debates, I doubt it will ever be settled with Castle and Beckett because that is the bedrock of their relationship, the foundation of their banter. They will be discussing wild theories until the day they die and loving the debates all the while. So no, I don't think that they settled anything, despite agreeing on that while their views may differ, they have the same goals. But that's a good thing that they that this isn't resolved. It'll never be resolved. That is why we love these characters because they're always going on about crazy theories from Castle and Beckett bringing it back to reality. And that's what we love about this show. So I, I, I don't think that they resolved anything, but they're never going to resolve anything. Well, that's what I like, especially in terms of looking at something as a kind of a show. Because mm-hmm. the idea that they're always doing, they're always out there doing the things we love to see them doing. Yep. That's what I like when a show ends, where we know that they're still out there, you know, doing their thing, doing the same thing that makes us love them and want to tune in to watch them every week. Kind of that regard, I feel like this episode was so perfect, it should have been the series finale. Really in the same way that I felt the episode Swan Song should have been the uh, Supernatural series finale. Yep. Because after that, guys, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, Supernatural went to total crap as a TV show, even if you want to still call it that. Could I fear Castle, you know, had the potential to go down this path? I really felt it on Monday night because at that point, we 
didn't know Stonicotic was coming back. And right. I had this like crazy nightmare scenario in my head of Castle, you know, coming to work off those community service hours with a completely new group of detectives. Or a better situation would have been like maybe, you know, him solving mysteries with Brian Esposito and like a new female cop character, which I think people would have hated. Oh, or yeah. they would have had, you know, a time jump Alexis become a detective, going to have Castle help her in that regard. Because we did talk about a time jump. But again, all of that's a stretch. It's all of that's kind of a mess. I don't really know how that would go. So that's just a complicated situation. I don't think it's going to be that way, which is good now that we have Sonicotic back on the show. So what I think is going to happen, because I'm kind of looking forward to it, actually. I think it could be interesting and a nice breath of fresh air. Because the same way the FBI story was a couple years ago, is I think, you know, we may get a political thriller season-long mystery because Castle kind of hinted that he'd start writing political theory, political thrillers, now that Castle was running, now that Beckett was running for Senate. Right. So I wonder if that's going to happen. And I wonder if that's going to revolve around people who might have taken a hit when Beckett arrested Senator Beckett. You know, and, and these people are angry at her that they're going to try to stop her from getting into office or cause some trouble for her in that regard. Because the uh, showrunners did say they want to try to bring him back next season, Senator Beckett, from an in-prison capacity. So I, I could see that coming into play. Um, and I originally thought maybe Beckett could work as a detective while running to be senator, but I don't think that would work. Um, I, I thought it would create good conflicts for running cases, but her campaign takes a lot of time. I think she would be hurting the people she's sworn to protect if she tried to do real things. Nico, where do you see the show kind of next season? Because it's going to enter the arena of a political thriller instead of a crime show. Now that we know Sonicotic is going to be back for sure, can I probably go through this senator plotline? Yeah, I actually see next season starting off with a major time jump, and Beckett is either in the final stages of her campaign or has already been elected, and Castle is working either as a professor of writing at some college and maybe a private investigator on the side, or maybe still with Ryan and Esposito while Beckett is campaigning or getting settled as a senator, and then he'll move to where she is in D.C., and, you know, I like your political thriller idea. Where it goes from there, I'm not sure, but I assume we will see some sort of time jump, like I said. The stuff with Ryan and Espo is all contingent on the actors signing contracts, but since Stana is in, we know she will be a major part of next season. Maybe she loses her bid to become senator and has to work her way back onto the force, or do something else. Who knows? I, I just hope it's going to be good. I have a feeling it is going to be good, because we know they can still yeah. write good stuff. We saw it in this episode. It was a, This was an excellent episode, and a great series finale that ended up only being a season finale. So, yeah, I absolutely think that we're going to get good stuff, and especially now that Stana has stopped, talked to the next showrunner the new showrunner and she that was why she signed was because what they had planned for her was something that she could get behind and, and thought was interesting and fun and would be worth doing so i'm excited for that well they wanted them to do something different she wanted them to do something different it's not iconic right. and i think she got that yep i think that's a plan got i really think it's gonna be good because really if you look at it this season aside from the amnesia stuff was pretty good and with the way they wrapped that up i actually didn't right. have that much of an issue with it after we knew where it was going and and I think that's one of those ones that suffered while we were watching it, but in hindsight actually turned out to be okay. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I still feel like it's a good shape. Yeah. I don't feel like they're limping at all. No, I don't think so. I, I absolutely think if they had lost Stonicotic and still tried to go on, this show would have taken a nosedive. Yeah. Yet again, right at Esposito, we don't know any word on that resigning or not. These are two actors that are very capable of starring in a pilot, grabbing, you know, a uh, supporting role on a pilot. That's bigger than what they are on cast. Um, so that's very possible. They could move on. I don't know. Um, I feel like a 
Alexis may stick around? Can I think Rally Quinn may stick around? Can they may make her someone helping back out on the campaign to keep her around? Well, they mentioned that in the yes in the last scene, so I really do hope that she becomes part of Beckett's either campaign, if we're watching the campaign, or she is part of her staff in Washington, because I think that's where she's going to find her her calling. Like, right. like Castle said in this episode, in that heart-to-heart with Alexis, every dead end, every misstep, everything that you thought was a worthless you know mistake that you had made was leading you directly to your calling i think that that builds on that idea and everything that had happened everything she had done everything that castle had done to bring beckett into their lives and essentially give her another mom because i i see beckett as another mom to her and if not another mom at least another mentor and you know that's a perfect place for her to be she already idolizes beckett wanted to be like beckett so maybe it wasn't in mystery solving maybe it was in this aspect of beckett the greater aspect of what beckett can do the greater good that beckett can do in this senator position so i like that idea that she's there and on her staff and we'll see a lot of interaction between those two great characters that we we absolutely love on this series yeah the only trick is if they do go political thriller because to maintain the mystery that we look for every week on this show well it might not be a mystery it'll be an overall mystery across the entire series yeah and we it, it may lose some of its procedural aspect for this season okay. where we don't get the same we don't get a mystery every week but it builds on the mystery from the previous weeks right and i think the writers are capable of doing this i think the way they turned around the amnesia plotline makes me feel like that they're capable of handling this sure and we're going to be satisfied regardless again we get nathan on television every week we're happy yep and i hope that you know we still get his kid in the candy store fun moments and stuff like that maybe it'll be you know places he gets to go with Beckett on the campaign trail get some other stuff so that would be fun yeah absolutely Gore you know they're on the campaign trail can they run into a murder can they have to use their expertise to help kind of like you know Castle was on the airplane can he just stumble into a case sure. so we may see a little bit of that as well yeah that's always a possibility which would be fun I think it'll work so then I guess it's time to move on to the show that's a mess the show that I said should have ended five years ago because that's supernatural with the episode of The Prisoner <laughs> While Dean hunts down Charlie's killer, Sam has no choice but to fulfill his end of his bargain with Rowena. Nico, can you tell me the difference between this storyline and the end of season four? No. I know the writers that made, made this big effort to the siege that Sam shared with Rowena and I think Cass about how this is a reversal Cut all the times Dean saved him. But to me, it feels like he's still making the same relentless decisions and has learned nothing from crossing the apocalypse. Even though, to us, big steps were made in the last three seasons that were actually pretty good to move Sam beyond this point. Because that especially goes for season eight. Do you agree with me on this observation? It has it thrown the solid character development we got from Sam, especially in season eight, out the window? Yes. Yes, it has. I'm so sick of thinking that this show is going to do something different and then falling victim to doing the same storylines time and again. Also, when the signs infiltrated the Men of Letters bunker, I said, if they destroyed the clubhouse, I'm done. I'm done right now. I'll just turn it off and won't watch it ever again. Luckily, they didn't do that, but they might as well have with Dean going all Mark of Cain demon-like and almost killing Cass. I mean, I know I said that's where I think things are going, but it still seems so obvious it it didn't carry any weight and made me again sick of the show. I- I'm just so frustrated with this series that I find it hard to even review it anymore. All we do is complain about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is getting that way. And come this one was just like, to so many moments where like, if they do this, I'm done. <laughs> and you shouldn't have to say that over and over again. Good watching a show. Right. Okay, I mean, it's like, cut off the rails. And what annoys me is it's like they have the ball sitting on the tee to go get a different direction or do something really cool. Kind of they like miss the swing. You know what I mean? Yep. They totally whiff the ball. It's like these guys can't golf to save their 
their lives because they just keep missing the tee over and over again. We just, I, I don't know. Okay, you could do that. I mean, it's stupid and it's sloppy. And God, just the writers on a TV show should know better than this. Because I don't even care how you know, it's late in the game, running out of plot lines. Do you have the plot lines? You're not using them. And really, with that being said, the only good thing in this episode that really packed my interest without feeling like a retread was Crowley going back to his old self because it allowed Mark A. Shepard to bring his greatness as an actor back to the show. Catherine's been muzzled the whole season by Rowena. And at first, I thought the hex bag Rowena had Sam use that Crowley removed everything that was done to cure him of being a demon at the end of season eight. But I think there's still some of the reformed Crowley inside of him because, yes, he said he wasn't going to kill Sam so he could send Rowena a message. But I also think he kept Sam alive out of allegiance to Dean, who is really his only friend of the world. Biko, were you glad to see the old Crowley back? Is this enough to hold the show afloat for another season if he's not killed in the finale? I do agree, Dan. This was about the only good thing to come out of the whole Sam and Dean fighting the Mark of Cain arc we've been saddled with the second half of this season. The Stein family scenes were interesting, but with Dean essentially killing the entirety of the family, or the major players anyway, that seemingly interesting arc was flushed down the toilet in favor of the Rowena, Crowley, and Mark of Cain story arc that we've been frustrated with all season. Again, Crowley was pretty awesome this week, but the Stein stuff had season 11 long potential. It had, you know, future episodes potential where I think this Crowley probably is going to be the big bad for season 11. And I'm okay with that, but I almost feel like it's what we've seen already again. Yeah, we've done it before. Yep. Except for that this time he's going to go really, really bad. So he's not going to be buddy, buddy with Dean anymore, maybe. But he was really, really bad at season eight. That's true. That's true. So I, 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 it's just a conundrum. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how they can, without bringing something completely new in, which they apparently are afraid to do. Which makes no sense. I, I don't see this. You're desperate at this point. Yeah, I don't see anything really great happening. Yeah, really, honestly, I thought this episode was a scene finale. Because that's how badly I want this Mark of Cade, Groena story arc to end. Can wash my hands of it. Can really not have to review this show anymore. So I was going to say that this you know episode had the action with Dean that was worthy of a supernatural season finale. Because the Frankenstein family was a physical enemy he could fight. And I was into this whole thing, including Dean's dual pistol. Action. Until he killed the innocent kid who didn't want to be like the rest of his family. Can this really put the nail in the coffin? Got me wanting to continue covering this show got across the airways. Because when a show reaches the point where they are willing to go against the heart, against soul, of why I love a character like Dean Winchester, which is taking young people under his wing to keep it going, then it's not worth my time discussing it anymore. Or Nico's time either. Can I wouldn't have been done with this show completely if Dean killed Cass in the brutal way that we thought he would. Now, some might argue that Dean wasn't himself because of the mark, but from a writer's standpoint, this doesn't even work as an excuse anymore. Because Supernatural has just gone too far down the tubes. Do you agree with me on this, Nico? I think you know that I do, Dan. <laughs> Out of obligation yeah. to feelings of completion, I will return next week for the finale, but I'm done after that. I'm not even sure I'll watch this series anymore, but especially no longer want to discuss it here on ATA. Sure, Dean was out of control and completely has succumbed to the mark, so I can understand the idea that he'd go homicidal and kill all the Steins, but killing that kid went against the thematic feel of this entire series, and I don't buy the whole that's the mark excuse either, Dan. The truth is that the writers have lost their way, and they've lost a diehard fan in me. Yeah, it's the truth. Again, there's too many more exciting things coming to TV in the fall yep. for us to cover than this. I mean, there's Heroes Reborn, there's, there's you know, Truckload of superhero shows, Legends of Tomorrow coming, Supergirl. These shows look fantastic. Okay, we've got Sleepy Hollow coming back, Doctor Who will be around. It's not worth wasting our time. Got something we're just going to complain about. Yep. So for our final discussion on Supernatural, which will be next week, God, that's the truth, folks. It's not going to change. God, I'm hoping I can still can tell you that I have get interested watching, you know, not covering ATA for the show. And I want to make that very clear. We're not going to cover it, but I may keep watching it. Because next week's finale is going to do away with Rowena and the Mark. Can move into storylines we would like to see, such as restarting the Battle of Letters. Can be introduced hunters around the world to battle, you know, more offshoots of the Frankenstein family. Crowley and Cass maybe stick 
stick around for some more good stuff. Because those two characters are holding the show, show off for me. Canark's focusing on them, except for the Rowena stuff, has been pretty good. But I'm not very optimistic that the writers are going to come through in this capacity. Because they are probably headed in the direction of ending this season in the same place where it started off. Come Dean going evil, Cora appearing dead. Nico, do you have any faith the writers can direct next season? Can a do a more interesting direction? Or are we going to get screwed over again, like we have been so many times over the past five years? As I said, Dan, there's a very good chance that I never watch Supernatural again. I was a diehard fan, but this season, and especially killing Charlie for little or no effect last week, and the repetitive nature of this season's entire Mark of Cain arc and the Rowena stuff has left me burnt out on this once great show and even more frustrated and fed up with this series than I was when we dropped Bones from this podcast. So you can tell how frustrated I am with this just by saying that. Yeah. I think the show is going to get canceled next year. I think the Raiders are going to go to hell and they're going to get canceled. I, I don't disagree. I, I do not see why CW is wasting their money on the show anymore. Because they want to try another spinoff too. I heard. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I'm like, why? Go with the superheroes. That's what's big right now. That's what's working. It, it, this other stuff. Come on. It's ridiculous. You're getting the best ratings you're ever getting from the superhero stuff. This is this is trash. It yeah, really is. It is. And I hate to say it because it was a great show. It was at one time. It really was. It was my favorite the first five seasons. So that's, that's all I got to say about that. So we're going to move on to a show that's doing really well at the BBC. Can I wish it well? I hope it does good because it's a heck of a lot better than this. Can I may even watch it as a replacement for Supernatural? Actually, I'm definitely going to watch it as a replacement. So, Nico, why don't we take it away with your dad joining us once again to talk Orphan Black. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Orphan Black episode scarred by many past frustrations. Helena and her sister are reunited at the caster camp when Sarah is captured. While Sarah suffers testing, Paul appears to chide her, but his allegiances begin to strain. So as we start every week from now on with that same simple question that might not always be such a simple answer, what was your favorite part of this week's episode? It was hard to pick a real a single scene that I really liked, but I guess I liked the dance party best. It wasn't as good as last year's clone dance, but I had a few laughs and giggles. Yeah, I really enjoyed Felix and Cosima's phone call and banter, Helena's escape plan, and the giant revelation that we'll talk about next because i mean we can't really talk about this episode before we discuss the giant revelation at the end what is going on with the caster clone's sexual partner what in the actual hell is happening with these male clones any theories down on what this disease or red-eyed malady is i have really no idea but this takes std to a new level i think they must be looking to see if some of the girls don't get infected maybe that's what why they're keeping such detailed diaries i don't know yeah here i was thinking we we're finally getting too close to getting answers about these guys and then whoop another layer to the curious case of caster gets added in after pondering for several of our discussions about the caster clone's deviant sexual behavior and logging it in a notebook as you mentioned we finally know why sort of maybe why they're doing it. apparently something within these caster boys is transmitted to the women sexually and we have to assume they're all aware of it. even mark except for maybe paul he seemed shocked when he was looking through parson's black book it's probably a sickness that no run-of-the-mill civilian doctor can really explain but involves a lot of pain and bloody red eyes as we saw in both christina the girl rudy and seth took advantage of early in the season and gracie but what in the actual heck is going on with him black this is a random addition to this story i thought we knew exactly what was going on and what the heck is the gracie arc going for we knew s was going to take her in but what is the goal of this where is it all going any theories on that because i'm at a loss for now here again i don't know this show has more mysteries than i can even put my finger on other than this might be a cologne club pet i can't even guess at what what they're going to do with gracie you remember before she lost the baby i had said that maybe since that 
that baby was going to be a genetic sibling of Kira, that they would use it in their quest to find a cure. But since she lost the baby, I really don't know what they're going to do with Gracie. As I said, I'm at a loss. I assume Gracie was going into toxic shock when she collapsed and not fully expelled the fetus when she miscarried or not properly delivering the placenta and it turned toxic in her uterus. But then obviously we saw she was affected by whatever the Castor clone's illness is. Could it be that the Simpsons only emerge when they stop having sex or close contact with the clones? Think about it. Gracie and Mark were together for a while and no symptoms and no illness. But she's gone from Mark for a few days and is doubling over in pain and got bloodshot eyes? I know, that seems like a crazy theory, but this is Orphan Black. They love that sort of stuff. So, moving on. Helena escaped, or so we assume. Were you surprised when she left Sarah behind? No, I wasn't surprised, and I'm not sure she left Sarah behind. She took way too long to escape. I think you will see her squash the bug and go back and get her. I was surprised. I was not expecting that. I thought Helena had been moved by Sarah's explanation of what actually happened and believed her. And maybe she did on some level as she hesitated and almost went back for Sarah before the alarm was sounded and a crazy manifestation of the scorpion told her to run. I suspect that Helena may regret leaving Sarah and bring in the cavalry to go back and save Sarah, but she could just as easily run or maybe even get not get away. So all of that is possible. Okay, I had that crazy theory while we were watching this episode that this base in the desert we have been seeing might just be an illusion and they are actually inside some warehouse or something like that. But you seem to think that they showed an establishing shot that showed they were in an actual desert. So where are they? There aren't exactly deserts in Canada. So where do you think they are? Mexico or maybe the US like Sarah supposed? Yeah, I kind of saw one nighttime shot that established it. It was from way up on a hill that showed the uh, fortress and and the compound. But I could have just been seeing that or it might have been a manifestation. It was from a distance and it was until then I thought this was a big warehouse or a soundstage. The light in this is just not right, even in daytime. And and it's not like any desert I've ever been. The buildings have a Middle Eastern flair to them. And, and, but it does look like some of the marine training facilities that I've been to, especially with the Connex trailers that all around. So I'm not sure this isn't uh, still a stage set or something like that. Yeah, and then the question becomes, who are they trying to fool? Are they trying to fool the prisoners that they have? Or are they trying to fool, fool the glitching clones that they've been shipped overseas? It really kind of opens up a question of who they're trying to p- protect and who they're trying to trick and if that is the case. Then again, it could just be one of those training facilities somewhere in the Mojave or somewhere in Mexico. Finally, we normally end talking about Team Hendrix, but they were suspiciously absent from this episode. So instead, we'll end on Cosima's date and Felix's dancing. That woman that Cosima went on the date with is a secret monitor or something, right? Did Delphine send her to spy on Cosima or maybe someone else? The caster clones, maybe? And finally, I know you love Felix's dancing. How great was that? I have to be sure that the date is just another monitor, but who monitor they, they are, I have no idea. I'm not sure. It's. I'm pretty sure it's not Delphine, but I, I think it might be somebody from di- the Dyad group. Who was that that was taking pictures from the distance, too? I bet we found out that it's Dyad at work doing its magic again. Oh, and you know I love Felix. He's one of my favorite non-clone characters, but the dance was just so typical Felix. At least he wasn't doing it in assless chaps. I thought the teasing that Felix was doing of Cosima before her date was a lot of fun, and the way Cosima hit it off with that woman makes me think that it was too perfect. It is almost like she knew exactly what Cosimo would go for and would make a great monitor for Cosimo. I'm just not sure who is actually watching her, especially since someone was taking photos with a telephoto lens from across the street, like you said. I just don't know where they're going with this and who it is. It's another mystery of this season. All right, well, that's all the time we got for Orphan Black this week. All right, Dad, thanks again for joining us again for the Orphan Black discussion this week. We'll talk to you next week. And now Dan and I will kick off this week's sitcom section with the community episode, Basic RV Repair and Palmistry.
The saved Green Deal committee go on a road trip in Elroy's RV to deliver a giant fiberglass hand that the dean ill-advisedly bought and is quickly convinced to sell. I think my favorite comedic moment of this episode, which is Ahmed constantly wanting to have a three-week flashback. Again, like, looking at it as a time travel device or a superpower he could activate by just squinting his eyes. Getting we go back in time. Got the three-week jump back with the dean and Ahmed was hilarious. Yeah. With them imagining stronger straps so the hand wouldn't fall off the RV. That was really good stuff. And one of the better uses of breaking the fourth wall that this show has done. Just really funny stuff. Really good. And it was, it was kind of funny how Jeff called him out on it as well. So, Nico, what were your favorite comedic moments from this great bottle episode of Community? Yeah, my favorite comedic moments from this week's Community episode, which essentially was a unique community take on a bottle episode, were Ovid's flashbacks routine, as you mentioned, which I love that they're still playing off the entire concept of how Abed still needs to be able to contextualize everything through the prism of television tropes in order to actively participate or be helpful in group situations. And his continual need to break the fourth wall, but within the confines of the story, unlike an aside or Woody Allen or even Zach Morris looking at the camera and commenting on things while taking a time out from the action. I love how Abed does it all within the story. That That is what makes it unique to community, or at least unique in my experience with community. It's a running gag within the conceptual framework of community as a series and it works so well I think. Now some other things I loved about this episode include Abed and the Dean heading into a flashback and then doing a dance from House Party. Abed's flash forward taking them way into the future where he, Frankie, and unfortunately Britta were space elders and the ending scene featuring UCB's Matt Besser as the unfortunate eBay purchaser of Greendale's giant fiberglass half fist. I'll admit this this probably wasn't the strongest episode. It's probably actually the weakest episode so far this season but it's still fairly successful and good for some laughs so that's saying something when the worst episode of a season is still pretty funny and works pretty well you're, you know you're having right. a successful season well especially for a sixth season yeah and changing a lot of cast members that that says a lot so let's move on to another show modern family which is getting a little sentimental for me it kind of came to home a little bit because my own sister is graduating from high school so i can feel it modern family right now so let's talk about the modern family episode crying out loud <laughs> Claire gets a job offer from a big hotel chain, but can't tell if Jay wants her to take it or keep working for him. Meanwhile, Phil, Haley, and Luke are more interested in Alex's senior ditch day than she is, and Manny is dopey from painkillers after having his wisdom teeth pulled, so Gloria seizes the opportunity to get rid of his new girlfriend. I know Nico is probably going to have this as his favorite comedic moment, but it was too good for me not to say anything about it. As Phil and Luke tried to pull up the dumpy kids cement imprints that they left at the condemned, what I call Muppet Theater, was a great use of classic slapstick humor. Got the use of the movie screen, creating shadows of Phil and Luke really did make their escapades look like a cartoon or the three stooges as my dad said which either you know I can think Haley can Alex actually even mention can looking like a cartoon in the episode can on that note it was impressive got this slapstick fun really paid off Phil's story for the week by setting up a nice moment between the dumpy girls come out Haley's concern over losing a connection with Alex as she leaves for college Gad Phil getting the satisfaction go probably getting to say he made the relationship between the two sisters so before I get Terry and I come out my own sister graduating from high school Kids six days and going off to college in the fall. I'm going to pass things off to Nico with his favorite comedic moment from this week's Modern Family. Dan, you nailed it. My favorite comedic moment was also the shadow play slash shadow puppetry in the theater with Phil and Luke. I loved when they made it look like the water was coming out of Phil's ears while he screams, I
That was priceless. Yep. The fact that it all paid off with a sentimental moment between Haley and Alex with Phil looking on was just icing on the cake. I actually thought that was an added bonus to this rather than yes. a detraction. Really, the entire slapstick routine was great, but that moment with the water pipe was my favorite. Yeah, it was outstanding. I got to go laugh out of my family, too. Really, just great use of Luke and Phil. Good, I'm glad they could keep, keep it going as Luke gets older. It's a good thing. So with that, I think we're going to move on to the closing of this episode. It's going to be kind of a light episode. God, there's one section you might not want to listen to anymore because you're as frustrated as we are. But the main event will be Nico's dad joining us again. So I think he's going to be holding our show afloat next week. So Nico, why don't you tell everybody what's going on? Yeah, next week's episode, we'll have a News with Nico section with all the TV and entertainment news that has come out in the next week, and we'll continue our coverage of the spring TV season as we review the season finale of Supernatural and an episode of Orphan Black, along with our sitcom section, including Community and the season finale of Modern Family. So join us next week for all of that. Also remember that our entire back catalog is available if you're just getting caught up on any of the shows we cover. Go back and catch Dan and my thoughts on the episode. But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available at our website at acrosstheareways.com. Now roll that pre-recorded closing. Good and our across the Airwaves website. You can check out our other podcast shows, including the DC Nation podcast, located at its own website, dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com. Get in the iTunes store, which reviews the TV shows Gotham, The Flash, Garrow, and Constantine. Get a few wild reviews on Marvel Comics-related TV shows, such as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Gajan Carter, get the Netflix shows premiering in April. Check out the podcast hosted by Gandhi Mabacht, Nikki Amy, and myself, known as Helicarrier, The S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast, located at helicarrierpodcast.com. Get in the iTunes store. In addition to these programs, Check out Thronescast, our podcast hosted by Nico, Nikki, and myself, dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com or on iTunes. Can you can send us your thoughts on each Game of Thrones episode by emailing us at thronescast.gmail.com, tweeting us at thronescast, again, that's at thronescast, leaving us a voicemail at 773-809-3363, again, that's 773-809-3363, or by posting on our Facebook page, located at Facebook.com. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, a Game of Thrones podcast, Get a Helicarrier, the Shield podcast, Got the Mix Internet radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. Because if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our app from the Amazon Marketplace. Get the Windows Marketplace, because a regular Windows phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own insight on the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just to say you like what we're doing, email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at Across the Airwaves. Again, there's no the there. It's just Across the Airwaves. Join our circle on Google Plus. Go leave us a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, got television events, such as Avengers Age of Ultron, Batman vs. Superman, got Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel because a great source for panels from past Comic-Cons can will be a great source to find videos coming out of Comic-Con 2015 this summer. All right, so once again, for our other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Andy Babak, Wu Kim, and Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstead. Good until our next episode. We'll catch you on the airways. See you, everybody. Have a great week, and I hope you all enjoyed that castle finale because it was a great one. See ya.
Walker lives, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.